Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, this is John Katsimatidis with the number one show uh, on uh, 5 o'clock. We have Cats and Cosby. And uh, in the studio today, it is Good Friday. And Passover weekend, uh, we have Judge Richard Weinberg, and uh, uh, I'm not here, John Katzmatidis and Rita Cosby, and we have a great show for you today, and and uh, what, what say you, Rita? Well, by the way, uh, you, first of all, had an action-packed event last night uh, full of the great Greeks in New York. Talk about that. I saw some pictures, John. It was like standing room only. It was like we had about 400 people last night. I must have signed 400 books. Well, that's good. That's good. It's a hot seller. I don't blame them. Well, How is, far it, do you want to go is the book. It is a national bestseller. How well, awesome is that? We know well, a, we know saying, a best-selling if author. Keep, if you keep doing events at 400 p- people apiece, then it's, gonna, it's yeah. definitely a national bestseller. And by the way, you have had a busy day. You were on this morning, of course, Sid and Friends. You're here now. You had the big event. And also, you got a big one next week. Uh, it is the Columbus uh, Citizen yeah, if you're Foundation. Italian and you're a member of the Columbus Club, come to the Columbus Club and next Tuesday. How awesome is that? And you will meet John Katsimatidis and maybe he will yeah. sign a book for you. And we're going to have Gordon Chang on. There's so many things happening, but I want to play this one minute clip. And, um, uh, I spoke to a guy named Yuri, uh, Yuri Feinberg, Feinberg today. And his brother is best friends, uh, with uh, President Putin. And what we're trying to do is find out what the heck is going on in Russia from other than and the press. I can't wait to Let's hear Let's play this. that thing, and then we'll go to Gordon Chang right after that. With us today is Yuri Feinberg, uh, and he's an author. He's from the Soviet Union. He left the Soviet Union in 1979, and he, he has a book called The Child of Gulag. And why are we doing this interview? Well, his mother and uh, Vladimir Putin's mother grew up together. They were in the same building. They were, uh, and the friendships have continued. So this is going to be interesting. Uh, good, good morning, uh, Yuri. How are you this morning? Uh, good morning, John. I'm fine. Thank you. Now, uh, tell us, uh, you grew up, uh, your mom and uh, uh, Vladimir Putin's mom grew up together in the same building? Yeah, we all lived in the same building in, in St. Petersburg. It's the Baskov Lane. And, uh, we, uh, put him a little younger than me. I remember him as a child. Um, and our mothers were friends. My mother just, uh, finished medical school. She became a doctor. So for a couple of years, we were, uh, they were family friends. And, uh, I understand your brother. Is still close to uh, the, uh, President Putin, and they talk on occasion. They they are very close. Uh, in fact, Putin is the godfather of two of my nephews. And when 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 Putin became president, he took most of his uh, friends, uh, and he was practicing judo. So from the judo club, he took most of his friends with him to Moscow. 
to have loyal people around him, and one of them, one of them was my my brother, who also relocated from Saint Petersburg to Moscow, um, and um, they continued the relationship and still pretty close. Well, we have a uh, we're back and we have a discussion with him at the Cats Roundtable on uh, Sunday show, and better tune in. There's some stuff there that you're going to be very, very surprised about. That was amazing to hear. Uh, yeah. You rarely hear from somebody who is that and close to And we're going to get the story inside Russia, what the heck is really going on without going through the media. And uh, Rita, I understand we have our good friend Gordon Chang on. Yep, indeed. We have a great Asia expert and great foreign policy. Gordon Chang, his Twitter handle is Gordon G. Chang. Uh, Gordon, let's just hop right to what this amazing clip that we just heard from John. The full interview is going to be on the Cats Roundtable Sunday, as you just heard. But it, it dovetails on the other big news today that Russia has formally charged the Wall Street Journal reporter. Um, how complex does it make it? Um, you know, with what's going on with Russia, now China. Uh, give us your sense of all this, Gordon Chang. Well, Vladimir Putin is taking hostages. And when the United States devotes a lot of effort to try to free one, he just takes another. So we've got to stop this cycle. You know, as much as we would like to have seen Brittany Griner freed, what she did, uh, what uh, Biden did by freeing her is paving the way for the taking of other Americans. We need to get all Americans out of Russia. And we probably should do the same thing with China because China has been taking hostages as well. And they are now holding Americans, which... And this is basically the same as what uh, the the ex-Soviets are doing in in Russia. Wait, how many Americans is is China having uh, holding? There's about three or four um, who've been taken under um, very suspicious circumstances. And, of course, the most famous hostage situation were the two Michaels who were taken in December 2018, just after Canada detained Meng Wanzhou, the chief financial officer of Huawei, at the request of the Trump administration, because she was involved, apparently, in uh, busting American sanctions on Iran. So really, uh, China has no compunction in all of this. They don't uh, agree. They don't adhere to their um, obligations under diplomatic treaties. So it's not safe for Americans in China, just as like it's not safe for Americans in Russia. Gordon, it's uh, Richard Weinberg. Good to have you back on the show. As I read the articles about this and listening to you, it seems to me what we've done is we've created a cottage industry for hostage taking and we're negotiating against ourselves on a constant basis. All they have to do is grab an American and then they have something to trade for to be eased up on sanctions or let uh, one of their spies loose. In fact, in today's Wall Street Journal, Gordon, first page story is there's an office just dealing with hostage-taking led by an ambassador of the United States. What do you think about this? I mean, this is just wrong. Um, I mean, we know that this dynamic occurs, and yet we continue to try to free Americans in circumstances where they should not have been going to Russia in the first place. Um, and so really what we're at the point at, uh, we just need to get Americans out of some of these extremely dangerous countries because we should not be um, undermining American national security to free Americans who went to countries where they know they shouldn't have gone in the first place. You know, Gordon, what do you make of all the like rhetoric that's coming from China? They are, of course, upset uh, that 
We have members of Congress, including the House Speaker, who met with Taiwan's president. We also know um, McCall is over there now in Taiwan. Uh, where do you see all of this going? Because they sent the ships, the Chinese ships, around Taiwan. Uh, they say they are well, furious. Yeah. Well, they've sanctioned um, a couple of institutions, Hudson Institute, uh, the Reagan Library, and, and that's Kabuki. Um, but uh, the Fujian Provincial Maritime Administration has announced a three-day exercise in which they will board ships on the high seas. Now, if the United States has had any consistent foreign policy over two and a half centuries, it's been the defense of freedom of navigation. So what China is doing in the Taiwan Strait right now is a direct challenge, not only to the United States, but to this whole concept of an open world. So it's critical to see what Biden will do if indeed they uh, aboard a ship. Is it getting a critical time or they're just playing with each other? You know, a a lot of people in America think that the Chinese are just playing, uh, including, uh, for instance, uh, Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And clearly that's the attitude in the State Department and the Oval Office. But one of these incidents could go very wrong. And so even if the Chinese were just playing, this is extremely dangerous. Now, I don't think the Chinese are just playing. Um, you got to go back and look at patterns in history. I mean, how many times in history has a militant regime embarked on a fast militarization and not launched a war of aggression? I can't think of any. That's exactly what the Chinese are doing right now. And so we need to be prepared for what is evidently coming. But we've got a political class and a Pentagon that doesn't seem to think that this is such a big deal. Gordon, it's even worse than that because you had the White House yesterday taking a victory bow, bragging about what a great job they did in uh, leaving Afghanistan. I mean, I thought that was one of the most shameful performances I've ever seen. What do you think? And, and by the way, I also think it emboldens. It was such a sign. That whole withdrawal was such a disaster. Kirby disaster. actually said it wasn't chaotic, and he was proud of the way they handled it. What say you, Gordon? Yeah, this is Baghdad, Bob. Um, this is the worst propaganda that we have seen because the Biden administration, I think, would have done itself a credit if it just acknowledged what was obvious, that they made a mistake. Now, obviously, they don't think they made a mistake, which is even worse. But clearly, this was a chaotic withdrawal. Clearly, this was not in the interest of anybody except for the Taliban. And we have an administration that will not say what is clear. This is the emperor has no clothes and it has real consequences. Well, Gordon, uh, have a, a happy Easter weekend. And are you, do you celebrate Easter? I celebrate Easter. I'm a Protestant in a family of Catholics. So I actually observed Lent this year. I gave up my favorite food. And I am so looking forward to the end of today. <laughs> well, have a good Friday. Gordon, have, we love uh, you. Thank we you. We love you. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Yeah. Happy Easter, guys. And thank you thank so you. much. I thank really you. appreciate it. Let's take a break. And when we come back, who do we come back with? Uh, We've got Marina? the chief of detectives, James Essig, talking about how difficult it is to be a cop. A cop was shot. Thank goodness they got the bad guy. But we're going to talk about soft on crime policies and also how tough it is to be a man or woman in blue. Let's take that break. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. 
And we are back to Katz and Cosby. Thank goodness the officer is okay and the police got the bad guy. And joining us to talk about another case, unfortunately, of how difficult it is to be an officer these days is the chief of detectives for the NYPD. He is a veteran there of 38 years. Chief of detectives, James Essex. Uh, chief, we are so honored to have you here. First, first of all, give us an update on this great heroic officer, a rookie cop, uh, who got uh, shot by a bad guy. I understand, though, thank goodness the cop is going to be okay. Yes, how you doing? Good afternoon. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Officer Bowler, uh, he's going to recover. He's got a long recovery. Uh, and thank God he's going to be all right. Uh, he gets shot in the groin area. That's a very difficult area to get uh, uh, shot. Any, any, let's put it this way. Any any shooting isn't a routine shooting. That's, you know, you can hit arteries. You can hit, uh, you, you know, different. It's a very tough place over uh, in that area. But he's going to recover fully. It'll be a long road. But uh, thank God uh, everything looks like it'll be all right. Chief, tell us again what happened because... He was going after the guy, and then what, he got, like, rammed? It was like a, a ram by the car? Uh, give us the, what happened. No, so he's uh, on the foot post with another rookie officer. They're out of the academy three months. They're out on doing, uh, doing routine foot patrol. They're weighed down by an MTA bus driver on 161st Street in Jamaica Avenue. He says there's a disturbance inside the bus. A male's arguing over a seat. Uh, as they go to the front of the bus, this male pushes his way out of the front exit of the bus, knocks down, or pushes the officer and flees. Officer Bowler gives per pursuit about a half a block away. He catches up to him. There's a strike, slight struggle, and the uh, perpetrator fires one round, striking Officer Bowler. Uh, the, our second officer pursues. He fires two shots, but the uh, perpetrator flees. Uh, uh, he, he fled towards uh, 161st Street and Hillside Avenue, where we lost him. Give us a, give us a, the overall. Uh, I mean, is is crime getting worse? Is getting better? Or where are we? Oh, uh, John, you know, year over year, you know, we're we're struggling with our our index crimes, our seven major index crimes. The last few years. Uh, we've seen a huge increase in shootings from over from 19, 2019 shootings and homicides. But the last two years, uh, particularly this year, we're really starting to make progress in the violence, the shootings, the homicides. You know, we still have a lot of work to do in terms of the overall index crimes. And then not only the index crimes and the quality of life, the drug dealers out there, the petit larcenies, the loud music, the ATVs running wild. So we're making progress. Uh, we have a lot, lot of work left to do. You know, I'll tell you, Chief, I was astounded. This is one of the few cases, the one uh, with the shooting of this heroic rookie cop. Uh, the suspect had no criminal record. I'll, I'll have to tell you, my eyes popped open. It's the first time I've seen uh, somebody who didn't have a, a repeat criminal record. How tough is this just recidivism and people getting back out on the streets? And, you know, we know it's a, a couple thousand people that are just kind of doing the crimes over and over again. Yeah, th- this one was kind of odd. You have a 22-year-old male on a city bus with a gun with uh, no no criminal history. Uh, so 
that made it a little more difficult to catch, but we have the greatest detectives in the world, and they were able to video and ID in a, uh, an auto and go into a house and interviewing people, going into Queens, and then up in the Bronx, we finally got them, caught them with a gun. But recidivism, as you hear time and time again, is a huge, huge problem. We keep locking up the same small amount of people time and time again, whether it's for robberies, burglaries, auto theft, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same small group. You have 1,500 to 2,000 people out here in a city of 8.5 million kind of running wild. Uh, and uh, we have to change that somehow. Absolutely. And everybody, we are talking to the chief of detectives, James Essex of the NYPD. Judge Weinberg, you got a question? Uh, chief, it seems to me uh, two points. Number one, it shows what a tough, dangerous job it is for the men and women in blue and how we as a citizenry, owe them our support and our appreciation because somebody has to do that to protect the good people of, of this city. And so I thank you on, on behalf of, of WABC. Second thing is I want to commend the police commissioner and the mayor for their leadership in the fight up in Albany to get changes to the so-called bail reform and public safety laws, criminal justice laws, which have created an environment of lawlessness. And what you and Rita were just talking about is exactly right. We have to get the recidivists off the street. You have to give the judges the authority to hold the recidivists in and to have the authority to hold people in who are dangerous. Without that, we cannot get control of this crime epidemic. What say you? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I mean, my job as the chief of detective and the police department, the police officers, the detectives in general, we're doing our job. We're arresting the perp the people who are, are committing the crimes, there's different uh, facets of the criminal justice system, and we got to fix some of them, and one of them being these bail reform laws. You know, uh, Chief, I was reading the history of this uh, rookie cop. Um, I am so happy to see people who continue to want to serve um, our police departments because it is a tough time to be a cop right now. What do you want to say to folks? Um, because... You know, you see the, unfortunately, a lot of the early retirements, just how difficult it is. And as you know, all too well, uh, they're all heroes. I, we love our men and women in blue here on 77 WABC, but how important it is to support our police. Yes, and, and, and thank you for that. I, I think their contract will go, go a long way, but I think it's a little bit more than just the money. People have to want to be the police officers to go out there and serve. Um, but uh, you, the average person out there that you meet and, uh, you know, they, they, they like the police, they want the police, they need the police. There's a small vocal and a very vocal minority of people and their, their voices are amplified with social media. They're the ones that target us and it makes it sound like the majority of people or a lot of people out there don't like us or support us. But, but I, I don't think that is the case. I just think they're very vocal. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you're right. You know what? Uh, you know, I'll tell you, though, whenever I go by a police officer chief, I say thank you. Uh, I've gotten I bought coffee. I bought lunch for them um, because these folks, especially the young people, um, many of these guys like this guy had only been on the job. What a few months, right? Yeah, 22 years old, 22 years old out there working a foot post in Jamaica Revenue in Queens. So, yeah, that that's uh we have a lot of young police officers. A lot of young people want to come on, join the police department. We'll hope to get a, a bigger recruitment now that maybe they have a living wage with this new contract. But, uh, you know, hats off to them for coming on and doing this job. 
All right. Well, Chief of Detectives James Essex, we love you. We love our men and women in blue, and the NYPD is the best department in the country. We are so appreciative of all your help. Thank you so much, and I'm so glad this officer is going to recover and be okay. Thank you. Yes, thank you, and have a great weekend. Thank you. We love you. We really appreciate it. Wow, good news to hear about that. Happy Easter, and uh, and we'll, we'll talk to you again real soon. Absolutely. Great. And by the way, John, big news on the economy. Um, by the way, I was listening to Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, uh, who was saying just what you were, John, that it all comes down to oil, energy, and basically, sadly, Biden's war on energy and oil. And joining us to talk about this and so much more, uh, we've got Paul Lutzotz now who's joining us. Well, yes, he, uh, he is very, very qualified to tell us what the heck is going on. And uh, first of all, it's not his Good Friday. His Good Friday is next Friday. Uh, and uh, it's good to have you, uh, Paul. Uh, give us an update. Where do you think we're going? I've already given opinions, my opinions. We have other people's opinions. You are a valuable person that that knows uh, you have your ear to the ground. And tell us the name of your company and uh, your your philosophy and where do you think we're going? John, it's, uh, the, thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate it. And happy Good Friday to all your audience out there. Um, I just, Lancet Asset Management, uh, we're an SEC-registered investment advisor, and we manage customized accounts, uh, portfolios for individual clients. Um, regarding where the market's going, I just think so much over the last many years has really been tied to the Federal Reserve. Um, the low interest rates beginning back in December of 2008 when they lowered them during the great financial crisis, and they had to, um, they lowered them to zero to 25 basis points. And since that time, rates have really stayed well below they've historically been. Um, Virtually any measure you look at, the 10-year, the 5-year, the 30-year, and what that's done is it's created enormous liquidity out there, um, and people have really built up enormous amounts of debt, including our government. Um, And it seems that everything, the Fed is really in a tough spot right now because at the end of the day, if they want to get inflation back down to 2%, the question is, is inflation cyclical or is it secular? Is it really now embedded in the economy? And some of that relates, John, to what you've always said regarding oil and gas. Um, oil and gas uh, prices really have a huge impact on what inflation and does. You're 100% right. And, and the fact is that if they start, the Fed starts doing uh, stupid things, it could hurt the banks even more, and it could hurt the the bank's lending power that will hurt the rest of the industries of uh, of our country. And uh, you, you won't get it down to 2% the way they want to do it. And, and I'm surprised that the people running the Fed uh, and the advisors they have are not smart enough. Well, What's, what's really, you know, a challenge now, the banks, given what happened uh, with Silvergate and Silicon Valley and First Republic, the prices uh, of these securities, some are gone and the prices have come way down. The challenge now is people are really concerned. And basically banks, especially the smaller banks, not the globally systemically important banks, the GSIBs or the SIBs that are over $250 billion, The majority, for example, of commercial real estate lending, maybe 70 percent or so, is done by those smaller banks. And and what's really concerning is a lot of those 
those banks uh, and the people that have commercial real estate loans, they refinanced after the pandemic. So not a lot is coming due in 23 and 24, but in 25, a lot will. And I think it's going to be very difficult to refinance a lot of those commercial real estate loans. And so the banks now, because of what's happened with SVB and others, they're under more regulatory scrutiny. They're probably going to impose more regulatory requirements on them, and they're not going to lend. They're not going to lend. Why should they take a chance on their future by lending money? And that's going to put other people, other other industries in trouble. Yep. So because of the regulatory, it's just a, it's a real challenge for them. And basically, the small banks in America, there's 4,700 banks, I think, or so in that ballpark in America. The small banks are really the oil and gas that fuels and lubricates small business, which is really what our economy runs on. So it's a very it's a very challenging and scary time. And I would not want to be in the shoes of the Fed trying to bring inflation down and keeping rates up. I, I'm worried if they keep rates elevated, everyone thinks they're going to lower um, or pivot like they have in the past. If they keep rates elevated for a long time, it's very it's going to be a very challenging time for our economy because of all the debt out there. Well, if you if you look at uh, if you have thirty trillion of debt at at four percent interest, uh, four times uh, thirty is uh, a trillion two hundred billion in interest alone as part of the budget. Exactly, and and what that does is it removes capital and it removes expenditures that we could make on things that we really need, infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, any we got a minute left. Uh, anything else you want to say, uh, Mr. Luntzis? No, just that uh, you know, I, I think the the stock market is really has really revolved around what the Fed's going to do, and I still think a lot of people believe that the Fed's going to pivot um, and start lowering rates. And I don't know if that's really the case because if they really want to get inflation down to two percent, they really shouldn't pivot. Well, if they don't pivot, they'll break everybody else. Thank you, Paul Luntzis, and uh, we'll talk again real soon. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, let's take a break. There's no, the markets were closed today, so there's no Lou Dobbs. Let's take a break, and we're going to come back with who, uh, Rita? We've got a blockbuster guest. We have the Virginia Attorney General, Jason Miaris, who's going to be talking about soft-on-crime policies. He says they are not working. That and much more on Cats and Cosby coming up. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back on Katz and Cosby. There was a horrible case of a woman who was stabbed to death in a hotel in the nation's capital in Washington, D.C. And a number of officials are saying these soft on crime policies are repeat offender. Guess what? The system is not working. And our next guest knows that all too well. He just wrote a letter to the D.C. City Council and to the mayor there. Uh, Jason Miaris is the Virginia Attorney General. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, we're so happy to have you here. This is Rita Cosby with John Katzimatidis, Judge Richard Weinberg. Um, this is an unbelievable case of what happened. And I want you to explain what happened and how these sort of soft on crime policies that are happening in the nation's capital and elsewhere are spilling over to so many states in our country. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Rita. I mean, obviously, if you live in around New York City, you've, you've seen this firsthand, what happens when you fail to prosecute and fail to 
go after repeat violent offenders. Uh, there's over 3 million Virginians that live in the Washington, D.C. metro area. A lot of them commute uh, to and from work, but obviously they do uh, uh, what uh, a lot of Virginia residents uh, enjoy, which is they go into the city for uh, both the arts, the entertainment. And we had a beautiful young woman, Christy Batista, uh, who came into the city, Washington, D.C., just to attend a concert. And within an hour after she uh, came into the city, she was brutally stabbed to death uh, at her hotel room um, by a complete stranger. It was utterly tragic. And then this individual was already arrested, had been arrested, uh, had a, a lengthy criminal history. He'd already been arrested and they was out on bond uh, when this tragic murder took place. And so we've seen this multiple times again, where you you have these soft on crime policies. And then in D.C., they've had a crime surge. Murders are up. Uh, armed uh, carjackings are up. Armed robberies up. Sexual assaults are up 84 percent. And just a couple of weeks ago, you had members of the D.C. City Council testifying in front of Congress who said, listen, we don't have a, a crime problem in D.C. And so part of the purpose uh, in my role as the Virginia attorney general is to call them out when they're not taking uh, what is clearly becoming an issue. And D.C. crime is now becoming uh, a Virginia crime problem. And that's part of the reason why the point of the letter. But it was incredibly frustrating to see to see yet another innocent life that was taken away by these lenient criminal first victim last mindset uh, when it comes to these criminal justice policies. Well, how, how, how can they be just lying like that and saying there's no crime problem? Well, what's interesting, even the D.C. police chief, which is interesting, he is willing to get up and he has said we have a problem. And uh, he pointed out that the average um, for somebody that's been arrested for uh, murder in Washington, D.C., their average prior arrest record is 11 prior arrests. If you've been picked up on a murder charge in Washington, D.C., you've been previously arrested an average of 11 times. And you see those kind of numbers repeated all over the country. These are repeat violent offenders. They are, they've committed crime after crime after crime until it escalates to the point where they take someone's life. And it is a serious, serious problem. So, you know, I agree with the D.C. police chief. There's too many individuals back on our streets that shouldn't be on our streets that then are committing more and more violent crime. I only wish that more of these um, uh, more of these prosecutors and these Soros back DAs around the country would understand that, that their that their policies are actually hurting so many people in the community that they claim they represent. Mr. Turner Challenge, Judge Richard Weinberg, welcome back to uh Cash and Cosby. Great to be with you again. Yeah, but yeah. you're you're a leader in the fight against these soft on crime local prosecutors. You've created an organization and you work nationwide yeah. to protect the people all across the country. Would you be kind enough to tell yeah. the people about what you're doing in that regard? Yeah, I'm the I am the national chairman of the Protect Americans uh, Action Fund. It was a group that was set up precisely to push back on these far left wing. Uh, special prosecutors that have been what they have done is they have gone into these districts um, and they have decided, hey, we're going to uh, drop a couple, you know, hundred thousand dollars sometime. And they win these district attorneys races, these prosecutor races um, all across the country. And what has happened is uh, they have literally been able to change almost overnight the nature of public safety in those districts. They'll declare entire categories of crime whether it's larceny, whether in some cases it's carjackings, and they'll say, listen, we're just not going to prosecute them. And where possible, if there's any crime that has a mandatory minimum, uh, we're going to try to reduce those crimes. And we're just going to reduce them to misdemeanors. And it becomes 
increasingly like a catch and release program. And what is the byproduct of that is it has caused law enforcement, police officers to leave in droves these areas. So you have some of these areas that have vacancy rates of 25, 30, 40 percent where they just can't fill the position because what officer wants to put their life in the line when they know that the perpetrator is just going to be right back on the street. Well, Mr. Attorney General, we have some breaking news that uh, we might Breaking news, WABC. The House Oversight Committee subpoenas the Biden family financial records. So where do we go from there? And by the way, it's uh, Bank of America, uh, uh, HSBC, J.P. Morgan, Chase, a whole bunch of them into the Biden family. Uh, Yeah, what's your thoughts? Uh, that's fascinating. It's the first I've heard of it. I'm, I'm a big believer that sunlight is the best disinfectant. Uh, obviously, there's been a whirlwind of questions and allegations regarding Hunter Biden. And, you know, it was interesting that for uh, weeks upon weeks, a social media giants should ban anyone that had said this was Hunter Biden's, Hunter Biden's laptop and a lot of what seemed on its face very questionable business dealings with overseas entities. We were told uh, that it was a false flag operation, that it simply wasn't true. And then it turns out uh, rather sheepishly they had to admit to it. So I think, you know, the problem has been is when you see these social media giants uh, conduct these actions, they people lose their trust. And right now, if you look uh, on, you know, people's trust in both big government and people's trust in big corporations, on both of those answers, uh, the general public's trust in both of those entities is at a record low. And a lot of it is because they feel like they're not being honest with them. And so, um, you know, I think getting to the truth of that matter is going to be important as far as a sense of both of accountability and transparency uh, to the general public moving forward. Attorney General Mayores, uh, the other thing I was disappointed on this week, it looks like the common sense candidate in Chicago for, for mayor, Paul Vallis, lost to the uh, non-law law and order candidate. Uh, what was your reaction? Yeah. Uh, I just thought, you know, there's a saying that there's no education in the second kick of a mule. Uh, it seems like they want a second, third, or fourth kick. I don't understand this idea where you continue to vote for failed policies that hurt your community. And uh, one of my frustrations is, uh, and I've said before, that one of the biggest problems you have in all levels of government is people assume just because they have good intentions, it will guarantee good results. None of you all operate their business that way. Nobody in the military operates that way. Nobody in a sports team operates just as if I mean well, that's all that matters. You have to look at the results. And by every objective measure, what's happened in Chicago, particularly in public safety, safety has utterly, completely failed. People are less safe. And, you know, there's folks that say, you know, well, poverty can produce crime. You know, there's some data that shows that. But there's also an overwhelming amount of data that shows that crime produces poverty, that two-thirds of all new jobs are created by small business owners. Small business owners do not locate in high-crime areas. They flee them. And so you are having such a, a – try to attract a business to want to relocate in Chicago when they've just reelected a mayor that is so tone-deaf that he thinks that we should have our local prosecutors be more like social welfare workers than actually prosecuting violent criminals. And so I just – I was aghast at that. I mean, Chicago is a wonderful city. It's one of the truly great American cities, uh, just like New York, just like Washington, D.C. And it is it is so sad to see that they keep electing leaders. And I tell, uh, you know, we need leaders as good and decent and as noble as the people they represent. And I don't understand why they keep voting for these failed leaderships or these failed policies. I'm uh, I'm just I'm just we we all agree. 
Attorney General Mayores, thank you uh, for everything you do to, for law enforcement and, and to keep law in order. Thank you so much and have a great holiday weekend and a happy Easter if you're celebrating Easter. Happy Passover if you're celebrating Passover. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Attorney General. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, who do we have now, Rita? Now we have a New York councilman, Bob Holden, of course, Democrat of Queens. And he has some stunning numbers also of the impact of migrants, illegal migrants, uh, that are being taken care of in New York City, courtesy of American taxpayers and New York City taxpayers. Uh, joining us now is the councilman. Councilman, great to have you here. Um, it is really amazing about uh, the cost that it is uh taking on New York City, and you kind of, you wrote, basically talked about the draining of our resources. Talk about that. Well, it's a, it, it's a bottomless pit at this point. How, when does it end? Uh, we have, uh, we spent now, we're spending $4.3 billion, I think, when the smoke clears, and it's going to go probably into $5 billion, uh area territory. So 55,000 migrants so far. Uh, Thirty, maybe thirty-three thousand are now in a hundred emergency shelters. How long can this go on, Rita and John? How long do the taxpayers of New York City and the United States have to pay for this? You know, I mean, it's, well, it's are incredible. you surprised that more taxpayers aren't coming out and saying something and saying what you're articulating so well? Yeah, because what's happening now? You're seeing Mayor Adams, and you know he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. The governor's asleep at the wheel. We know that. And so is our president. And uh, Chuck Schumer and Gillibrand are all asleep at the wheel. They're not saying anything about it. Yet Mayor Adams has to deal with this. And we're going to be losing, you know, certainly uh, services in New York City. They're going to cut the budget. They're already cutting agencies another 4% on top of 3%. And before you know it, it could even be 10%. So we're getting to a point where who's going to suffer? The taxpayers, obviously, because we're going to foot the bill. But our services will, everything, uh, including police, fire, and um, sanitation, and all the city services will take a hit. And we have to take care of these migrants, believe it or not. I, I, don't, I don't understand that. Does anybody else understand? Why are nobody, we on- nobody, nobody understands it. Judge? Councilmember, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. Good to talk to you again. How are you doing? I'm fine. The... The issue, seems to me, is that the border crisis is now alive and well in New York City. You have a Biden administration that refuses to enforce the immigration laws, refuses to support national security and national borders. Without national borders, you do not have a country. We have a fentanyl crisis. We have a gang crisis. We have a lawlessness crisis coming over the border. And they're just looking the other way. And New York will continue to suffer because they keep dispersing the people from who are illegals throughout the whole country. So New York is just one place that's going to suffer. Yeah, and very few people are talking about this, Judge, that we have people on the terror watch list. We're catching them, but a lot are getting through. You have to, you know, really kind of reason that we're catching some of them, but not all of them. So if you look at at the years so from 2016, from October 2016 to October 2020, uh, 11 people we caught crossing the, the border. Now it's in the hundreds uh, in just like one year. I just talked about four years, 11 people. Now in one year, it could even be 100. How many people did it take? How many terrorists did it take to bring down the World Trade Center buildings? It took 19 terrorists to do the attacks on the United States. 
And we're letting in hundreds of terror people who are, you know, on Maybe the terror watch list. We didn't catch Maybe thousands. Them. Yeah. By the way, uh, the number of gotaways, they believe these are the ones that like you can't have no track of. It's over a million. That right. they believe. I mean, think about, just as you said, a million people, those are the worst of the worst because they don't even want to get caught. Even the ones who get caught, they know they just get a slap on the wrist. Right. And a sovereign nation should be able to pick and choose the people that we want to immigrate into the United States, right? We should, you know, let's say we, uh, I said this before, we need nurses. You know, we need certain people in different uh, areas uh, of industry. Let's bring those people in. We're bringing in the poor and we don't even know who these people are, by the way. We're bringing in so many poor people, mostly single men. And by the way, they can't work. So they can't work on the books, by the way. So the city is actually looking at this and saying, you know, we're, we're telling them they have to work off the books. I thought that was oh illegal. My God. <laughs> it's oh my like God. every direction. And, and by right? the way, Councilman, if you talk to law enforcement, whether you're talking to judges or prosecutors or, or, or police, they will tell you gang recruitment is up. MS-13 is back, is alive and well. They had beaten back MS-13 in the state of New York, and now they're back, and yeah. they're all over. And this is very serious stuff. Yeah, and so there, was a, there was a case again, in Florida have, just recently, and they believe it's gang-related. Yeah, we, have to, we should not allow anybody to cross that border unless we thoroughly vet them, and they fill out applications, and then when we approve it, if we, do, if we approve it, then they come in. We can't we can't do what we're doing now. And again, Biden is not responding at all. Do you, do you hear him talk about this at all? Nope. No. And that's and in fact, all he basically does is say, what crisis? I mean, it's an insult to the American people. Councilman uh, Robert Holden, thank you uh, very much for your common sense. Keep fighting for common sense and have a, a great uh, uh, Easter weekend. Thank you so much. Happy Easter to all. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Councilman. We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, Rita, who we have when we come back? Well, speaking of uh, the border and the problems, we have retired DEA Special Agent Derek Maltz, one of the best in the business. Biden puts out a whole new public uh, ad campaign and blames the users of fentanyl, not the open borders, not the suppliers. It's outrageous. We're going to talk about that. Stay with us. It is going to blow your mind. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we're back, and uh, all I could say is TGIF. I remember those words. Thank God it's Friday. Maybe you have to be as old as me to remember those words. Uh, Rita, you, you're much younger than me. Yeah, well, I remember those words, too. <laughs> Rita saw in a history book. That's what she I did right around the time of Abraham Lincoln and, you know, some of those others. But anyway, you guys, um, uh, we are now continuing the discussion, of course, about the border. And you just heard from Councilman Holden talking about five million dollars a day is basically what it's costing New York taxpayers. I think it's more. Yeah, I think it is, too. That's just what we know of. That's a great point, John. And in the middle of all this, what's happening with the border and what is the Biden administration doing today? They put out an ad campaign uh, basically blaming the users of fentanyl, but not bringing up the suppliers, judge not bringing up the open borders either. Right. And that's all that does is expound on the theory and the narrative of the Mexican president saying, well, it's not it's not our problem. It's your user's problem in the United States. How ridiculous is that? Yeah, it's with the hugs, not bullets uh, policy of that guy. Well, joining us now to talk about all of this 
is the former director of the DEA's Special Operations Division. He was also chief of the New York Drug Enforcement Task Force. Uh, Special Agent Derek Maltz, we love you. And um, I got to ask your thoughts, Derek. Uh, the fact that the Biden administration is pointing the finger at the users, just like the judge was saying, the Mexican president says, with no responsibility of the border and going after the cartels. Rita, thanks for having me back. Thank you very much. It's really important to discuss this topic, but it's disgusting that they're blaming the users because many of these users are significant depression, anxiety. They're turning to pills to help them. And unfortunately, the pills are fake, and they're made in these dirty, filthy labs in Mexico, controlled by the cartels, and it's killing them at historic levels. So it's really, really disappointing to hear the White House blaming these poor people in America that are either addicted to opioids or don't know any better, and they're taking these pills thinking they're going to get some relief. It's disgusting. But more importantly, what Biden should be discussing is destroying and decimating the command and control infrastructure of the Mexican cartels. That's the bottom line, because they are producing so much fake pills and so many deadly substances that are coming into our country, killing our kids. And it's, it's absolutely hard to imagine that a government in America would allow this content to continue. They killed how many? 107,000 in the last 12 months? Yeah, with fentanyl in uh, the United States. Every five minutes. Well, pff, uh, Derek, it's, uh, it's Richard Warmberg. Good to talk to you again. I have to tell you, Alabama has just raised the penalties for trafficking in fentanyl. And I submit that what every state has to do and the federal government has to do is they have to make these mandatory, very heavy sentencing for trafficking. You know, working with the materials that create the fentanyl, distributing the fentanyl, direct sales of the fentanyl, whatever angle you have to have for people in the chain of creation and distribution, you have to go after them for very, very heavy sentences. What do you say? hundred percent. Actually, I was invited to a summit uh, yesterday down in Texas with Governor Abbott. I couldn't make it. But one of the things that they discussed is now talking about fentanyl as poison. So if you sell poison, you will be charged with murder. And that's really important. We have to have a deterrent. But let me just give you an example, because I track this stuff every day. So basically, over the last few days, there were 18 dead in Milwaukee. Because these people are taking fentanyl mixed with the xylazine, the trank. This is a drug that's eating people from inside out. It's rotten their, their, their human tissue. Then last week on Friday, there were 11 poisoned, three dead in Portland, Oregon. Then ready for this, upstate New York, where I went to college, central New York. In a 48-hour period at the last week of March, there were 40 poisoned. This has never happened in this country's history. And we don't even hear about it on the mainstream media. We don't hear it from the White House. And it's absolutely irresponsible and disgusting. You know, it's amazing, uh, Derek. Um, I was just seeing Governor Abbott of Texas, who was on TV, and he just said that all his requests to the Biden administration to help with yeah. the border, uh, like give us more agents, give us more of this, by the way. Ignored. Uh, yeah, totally ignored. But they actually went unanswered from the governor of Texas. What does that right. say? Well, I mean, this is basic leadership, Rita. I mean, Governor Abbott's doing everything possible. He's got the Department of Public Safety down there, an Operation Lone Star, working as best as they can, spending lots of money in the state of Texas budget. 
this to go after these cartels, go after the illegal migrants. But unfortunately, you need the U.S. government to be supporting this type of initiative. And unfortunately, our White House is sleeping. Hey, look, when I testified March 1st, I called out the White House for a very simple thing. Have a summit, declare a national health and public safety emergency, get the professional sports athletes, get the uh, social media influencers, the, the role model celebrities to start putting out video reels down to these kids so they can get educated because the kids are not watching TV. They're not listening to the podcast and the radio. We have to get the messages to the kids, kids, but they're not even talking about this stuff. That's what's really sad. Well, we love you. You keep fighting the great fight for our country uh, and to protect our borders and to protect our kids. Uh, retired DEA special agent in charge, Derek Maltz. Thank you for all you do. We appreciate it. And, John, you know, all I can think about what you said yesterday. 300 new Border Patrol agents in this new budget. And, and 30,000 IRS agents. Yeah, I mean, Biden's budget. Just somebody is thank crazy and, and nobody's saying anything. We well, are. Thank you all. Have a great Easter. Have a good Passover. And what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. Reporting from the Daily Planet building. <laughs>